Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode number 124. Today is Sunday, August 18th. My guest for today's episode is Thinzar Shunlei Yi. She is a human rights activist who lives in Myanmar. Now, Myanmar has been in the news a lot over the last two years for the Rohingya crisis and has a long history, and I needed somebody to help sort that out. So I've been looking for somebody for quite a while, even back when I was in Jakarta last year. So luckily, we have a common acquaintance and common friend, Diavio Alfath. He was on episode number 84 of this podcast. So if you want a little like pretext, you can go check out episode 84. But both Diavio and Thinzar won Emerging Young Leaders Awards because they do a lot of work in human rights around the world. If you recall, Diavio helps refugees in Indonesia, and Thinzar is working to, um, how do I say, I guess, prevent any further uh, discrimination and hate in Myanmar. And the reason for that is Myanmar has over 100 different ethnicities in the country. So I'm going to give you a little bit of history here. This is going to be a very concise history, but I hope that it sets some of the context for what's going on there and will lead into this conversation. It's funny because I was scrolling through uh, articles, just doing a Google search for Myanmar, and you know where it shows like the top five news articles, or I guess they're the ones that get the most hits online. And so I wrote down the, the titles of these articles. This is just in the last 24 hours. Now, I know obviously this is the worst way to read news is to just read headlines, but I think this gives you sort of um, an idea about what's happening there, or at least what might be coloring the uh, international perception of what's going on in Myanmar. So these are the titles. Myanmar military uses threat of prison to stifle criticism ahead of elections. Ambulance driver killed in Myanmar as army battles rebels. Ma, I've been sold. The tragic stories of brides trafficked from Myanmar to China. SAR team finds body of Myanmar man feared drowned. So, yeah, <laughs> not good things. There is violence right now. Next week, the Rohingya are expected to be repatriated back into the country. There's an election coming up. Uh, dissent and criticism is being stifled. Journalists are being jailed. So there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And then at the same time, if you look at photos uh, of people who have been to Myanmar, it's an, an incredibly beautiful country. Uh, people are quite warm and welcoming. There's amazing temples if you've seen... Um, you know, those people that do those balloon trips and stuff through the temples. So uh, like every place in the world, there's a lot to love about it, but it's caught up in a whole lot of domestic conflict. Now, often we look at places around the world and we say like, oh, that's a dangerous place, right? It's developing. You know, the president of the United States famously called certain countries shithole countries. Right now, how do places get to be like that? And I'll preface this and say, like, I don't agree with his labeling at all. So, um, But how do places get to be places that we look at and think of as dangerous? Or, or how does Myanmar get to be in the current situation that it faces? 
Now, I it's my conjecture that uh, colonization had a lot to do with it. So that's another thing that I think some people do in the media or people who make excuses for the way that, or not excuses, but people who try to say, well, like, why is that country not modernized or why have they not caught up to the global economy? Well, there's a really, really long, um, long effect of colonialism, of imperialism. I think the easiest way to look at it as a case study is like a place like Rwanda in Africa, right? And it's a similar story throughout Africa. But in Rwanda, there were two different ethnic identities. One was treated far better by the colonial power, right? And then the colonial power leaves, draws up a political border for the country, and all of a sudden everyone within that political border is Rwandan when they didn't have a common kinship or identity before. And then you have... Um, negative sentiments and feelings towards the people that were treated better. And also, once the colonial power leaves, you often have the new people who take over mimicking the treatment that the colonial power gave to them on their new subjects. So it's, it's quite complicated, and that's probably a very elementary explanation of a situation. But I think that's part of what you're seeing in Myanmar. And I'll, I'll get to that history in just a second. But uh, one of the things we talked about in this episode is even some of the old colonial laws, uh, particular in, particularly in regards to, to women, things like marital rape, those laws date back to see, the, literally the British colonial law when Great Britain had colonized Myanmar. So the history can go back a real long way. You can talk about Mongols. You can talk about Silk Road. You can talk about ancient civilizations. But I don't have all that time today with you, and I'm honestly not an expert on this. So we'll look at some more recent history. So you've likely heard of the British East India Company, going back to your days in high school. But the British East India Company colonized all over the world. And it's interesting because you might not recognize or you might not know that there were actual companies that were colonizing places. Indonesia was not colonized by the Netherlands. It was colonized by the Dutch East Indies Company. So the British uh, East India Company was in what is currently Myanmar and obviously India. And initially it was all colonized together, right? But then, so that's actually dating back to, to the 1800s. But then eventually uh, India became its own colony and Myanmar became its own colony. What you might not also know about Myanmar is that it was a key location in World War II. And it was ravaged during World War II. And you actually saw some people in Myanmar saying, hey, maybe Japan can liberate us, so we'll fight for Japan against the Allies. And then you had others fighting for Great Britain. <laughs> so that's also going to create internal conflict when the country eventually becomes its own sovereign nation, when the colony becomes a country. Now, after World War II, a lot of countries pulled out of, majority of countries pulled out of their, their colonies, and you saw this too in Myanmar. So Myanmar becomes a sovereign state in the 1940s after World War II. But from the 60s until 2011, it was a military dictatorship, and it was quite brutal. 
and Myanmar was closed off to the world and information was concealed and things like um, the arts and media and film were heavily watched and policed and regulated. Pretty similar symptoms to most dictatorships. Aung San Suu Kyi was probably the most outspoken critic of that regime. She was put under house arrest. You've likely heard of her. Uh, she's written several books and was seen as the key human rights figure at the time. Currently, there is a transition into democracy, and that transition is still occurring. And now Aung San Suu Kyi is a member of the, of the government, but you still see some really awful things happening here. It's a Buddhist majority, and the Rohingya are Muslim, and because there was infighting, the Rohingya were then persecuted, and what you saw last year was a campaign to move Rohingya out of the country. And when I saw that, I thought back to, again to school, learning about like the Trail of Tears. It reminded me a lot of that, of people not having food, supplies, enough things, enough of the basic necessities as they're being marched out of the country. I also thought of the book Forgotten Fire, which I read about the Armenian genocide. Now, Myanmar is not calling this a genocide, but people around the world are. If you also go back to, I had um, Elaine Tan from uh, ASEAN, that's A-S-E-A-N, it's the uh, Southeast Asian Union of Countries. She was episode 80. I asked her about ASEAN's role in preventing this because Myanmar is a member nation of ASEAN. But really, they don't have the, the actual like manpower to prevent this from happening. ASEAN is more of a... They give more advice, economic advice, political advice, but they don't have the power to prevent this. Now, like I said, the Rohingya is supposed to be repatriated next week, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. But many people died. Many people were living in horrible conditions. You heard things about sexual abuse physical abuse, which is really awful. So I was just trying to understand this. But again, that I think harkens back to like the way that the colonial power treated people. So I really have no answer in how, how you fix that, how you, um, how you transition a country to be a sovereign nation. But it's interesting because, you know, I've read about places like Liberia and you see all these acronym groups and there are acronym groups within Myanmar too. Um, as different groups uh, break off and faction and form their own groups and try to take control. And so you'll see a lot of this, like the State Law and Order Restoration Council, the SLORC. Uh, yeah, so this is sort of the context that uh, will set the stage for this conversation with Thinzar. Because she is someone who's speaking out against hate, speaking out against persecution of various groups within the country. And she wants a full transition to democracy where everybody can live with this, you know, the ideas that we always think about, like life, liberty, and happiness, right? Where everybody can live with these liberal ideas. Now, again, she was in Myanmar. I'm here in New York. So just technically... I think you can't have this episode on as background noise. Like if you're doing a bunch of tasks that you're focused on, you're really going to have to listen to this one. Her accent is pretty strong. And just technically, 
in terms of the recording. You know, I'm recording through a Bluetooth. She's speaking into headphone mics. So it's not like we're here in a studio together and it's crystal clear and really nice. But you can hear it, you can hear it all, you know, pretty perfectly if you focus and you slow down and you listen to it. It's about a half hour conversation and she's really, really, really brilliant. Um, you can go online and check out. She's done some talks and things like that. But again, try to focus on this one and, uh, and really listen to it and, and you'll get all the words down pat. All right, hopefully I, I did um, Myanmar's history some justice there in the eight minutes or so that I was talking. Um, you can, as always, check the show notes for this episode and you'll find links to Thinzar. It's funny because in the end I said, like, what can people do? And it's really, you know, spreading the word, she said and educating people and teaching people and spreading peace and this idea that, you know, we are all united and we are all one, despite the fact that there's so much factioning in the world today and uh, so much identity politics and um, this fervor of nationalism that's been happening around the world. If we can all do something very simple and let's treat each other well in our own lives... Maybe that will have a, a ripple effect. I know that seems very simple, simple-minded, and that's not like a political solution necessarily. But who knows? We don't all treat each other well now, so imagine if we all just tried to do that. Um, okay, check out the show notes for this episode for Thinzar, and check out the show notes for this episode for my Patreon account. That's Patreon.com/slash The Voyages of Tim Vetter. It's where you can give to keep these stories coming. I got a whole lot of stuff planned out. It's hard to get all these in while I'm working, but I will get them all in nights and weekends and early mornings and things like that. So, all right. Enjoy this conversation with Thinzar. Thank you so much for doing this. I know it's yeah. it's later at night there, but uh, I really appreciate this. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. Okay, cool. So, the, the way that I found out about your work is that we have a mutual acquaintance. Um, I had somebody on the podcast named Diavio Alfath, and he won an award in the States for work that he is doing um, with refugees in Indonesia. And I saw that he had posted about you and I saw all your work and I was like, oh my God, I have to have her on here. I haven't had anybody talk about Myanmar. This will be really exciting. Uh, so, so yeah, again, thank you. Okay, so. Thank you. Let's maybe broadly first talk about the work that you're doing because you also won an Emerging Young Leaders Award. Uh, before I get into like all the specifics yeah. and the history of Myanmar, can you talk about uh, the work that you do in human rights activism? Um, okay. So I'm currently an advocacy coordinator as a, at a, a political coalition called Ash Committee for Democracy Development, which is the grassroots-based um, human rights uh, coalitions with the farmers, work, uh, workers, students, women, 
so from the grassroots uh, community. So, so what we're doing is basically uh, we are giving awareness about the human rights and like education, human rights education at the grassroots level. And when they are aware of their own rights, then they could stand out and they could uh, they could do a human rights based activity like right based action. So that's what we are basically doing every day in our lives. And as well as as the advocacy coordinator, I'm responsible to represent the whole coalition and talking about the um, rights uh, violations in the national level to uh, also in the international level. So as a human rights activist, I've been quite active on the uh, peace issue, like the civil war is going on right now. And also I've been quite active on the local governance, like uh, for example, the young people have no uh, universal suffrage, they couldn't vote in the grassroots level. So so from our young people towards the uh, federal democratic nation, so my, my activity uh, varies. Okay, I think something that probably most people know about through the news on an international level is the Rohingya crisis. Uh, it's something that we've been seeing for like maybe the last two years or so. I know uh, the actual history of it goes back longer. Can you explain what is happening with that and why it's happening? So the Rohingya crisis is um, it's not just in 2017. Like uh, the international community came to know about it details about like their struggle only in 2017. But their struggle and their sufferings are there for long, for long year, for long time, like decades. And uh, you know they've been locked up in the Rakhine State for many years, and they become a refugee. They become stateless. They become uh, they are like discriminated like for 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 based on their color, based on their religion, based on their like based on their social status. They are poor. They are uneducated. So so the suffering is there, and we get to know it. And the point in Myanmar is like we all are equally oppressed in the military region. So regardless of Rohingya, regardless of uh, different ethnicity, we all are the same. So. We all were uh, equally oppressed uh, last decades ago, and now we are in the democratic transitions. And so that in 2017, there is an exodus like, that drove out that drove out nearly a million Rohingyas to Bangladesh. And so, as in, um, so the current situation is the current government is trying to uh, or, uh, plan a repatriation for them, and it's happening next week. So we are quite excited, but also worry a lot about the uh, repatriation plan. It will be a dignified and voluntary and safe return. So that's our current concern as well. And and now everybody's following that. And I'm glad as the young generation, as the young activists, I'm glad that the world is paying attention to our the oppressed situation in the country. Yeah. Okay, thank you. I, I have some questions about some of that. So... I know that there are over 100 uh, ethnicities identified within Myanmar. Uh, and obviously, as you said, religions, and then there are, you know, immigrants from neighboring countries. It's a very diverse country. I think maybe people don't realize that. Who, what is the, I guess, the demographics of the people who make up the majority is it Buddhists? Is it people who trace themselves like ethnically Burmese? Who's in the majority? 
so in a country in Myanmar, um, we gained independence in 1947. And, and uh, after that, um, so we have... The, the previous government, uh, previous military agency identified we have nearly uh, 100 and more than 100 ethnicity. But the point is, like, um, we can be sure, like, how he identified or how he categorized them. So there's some issues uh. around, like, who should not be under which category, stuff like so. So that, that's what uh, the Rohingya issue is also with about, about that, too. And uh, so in the country, the, the majority... Uh, is Bami and uh, it's also initially a Buddhist country. Buddhist. Like, um, it's in, it's recognized as a national religion. Uh, so Buddhism and Bami are the uh, yeah majority. Uh, I see. Thank you. Um, I know that there's an election coming up. You mentioned with the repatriation of Rohingya from Bangladesh back into Myanmar that some people are concerned, as you just mentioned. Do you think that this is a human rights victory, the repatriation, or do you think it's more uh, of a political tactic because there are elections coming up? Um, so we need to be critical with whatever the current government is doing. So I think it is good to question them if it is one of the... Uh, um, election campaign like for the repatriations but I for me personally I think um, they've been doing the repatriations since last year it was not successful so now it's time again for them to actually do a successful repatriation so I think it's not directly concerned with the elections but it will impact a lot on the election for sure so the government might take a consideration about the repatriation plan should be successful because the election is coming up and the international community is supporting the electoral process. And uh, so, yeah, uh, for me personally, I don't think it's directly related, but it can, they, they will take consideration of it. Okay. Um, also, if, if any of these questions are not okay to answer, definitely don't answer them. <laughs> like, don't feel like you have to. I know that some of these are, uh, you know, really political or, or maybe even a bit dangerous to be talking about. Um, but something I'm confused about, and I've seen a lot of things written in international media, is Aung San Suu Kyi's role. Because years ago, I had read um, her book of letters from when she was under house arrest. And she seemed like this human rights champion. And uh, now that she's sort of like a de facto head of state, I guess maybe what some people would think of like as a prime minister. Uh, there's a ton of criticism because this essentially genocide is happening under her watch. I'm wondering your thoughts on that, um, if she actually has any power, if she's just a figurehead, or like what's happening in relation to her role in government? Um, so the role she's taking right now as uh, the lady, the Dawson, the Nobel Peace Prize winner, she, the role she's uh, taking right now is as a, as a state counselor. And it's a totally and newly created position for her. Um, so, because she was barred not to be, uh, she was barred not to be a president, according to the current constitution, 2008 constitution, does not allow someone who has affiliated with any um, foreigner. So to become a president, so that's why she couldn't be a president. 
Uh, she's, of course, a de facto leader. She's the leader of the political party, the ruling party, as well as she is like a democratic icon, not just in Myanmar, but in the whole world. So she has a lot of um, uh, kind of authorities towards the, uh, the, the civilians inside country. And um, so so in, when we, uh, in, in terms of the power that she can hold to, so I would like to um, explain about the uh, current constitution. Current constitution allows the military uh, participation like 25% quarter in the parliament. So ah. the military take over 25% automatically in all the parliaments. And, uh, and also they took up the three powerful ministries. Uh, so it's called like home ministry that took care of the uh, day-to-day administration uh, pillar. And also they took care of the border affairs. They took care of the uh, defense. So these three powerful ministries are being um, under the uh, Komenai chief. So they are kind of, and also uh, according to the constitution, the constitution allows the military to take, um, to uh, to nominate, to nominate for three powerful uh, ministry in Myanmar. And the president is responsible to pick up like one of one from the nominations of the military. So that means the military has uh, control over three ministries. The three ministries are very important. Uh, the Ministry of Home Affairs, Border Affairs and Defense. So for example, Ministry of Home Affairs, they took care of the day-to-day administration in the grassroots level, in the village track. So uh, they can actually, you know, rules rules uh, in the grassroots level. Uh, so that's the current situation. And also, uh, in terms the the ruling party, the civilian government, is something like they are the one landslide victory in 2015. They are the majority uh, ruling party right now. So uh, they they if they want to change the constitution, for example, they need to have over 75 percent. Uh, vote in the parliament to amend the constitution. So, and then the military resisted not to am- amend this article or that article. It's like very hard situations right now. But at the same time, we feel like as a civilian government, the state have a power to actually pass the law, actually um, create a new law or amend the law. But they, they are. Uh, they fail to amend the most criticized uh, laws and legal, you know, uh, provisions in the parliament. And so I guess because of that, um, she doesn't have the the amount of power that people might think she has because she's up against a 25% like military. Yeah. That's not, that's, that's true, but that's not a new story. She knew it before she become in power. I see. Everybody know it. In Myanmar, we know it. And also international community know it. And she decided to become, uh, uh, to win, uh, she decided to um, run the election. So everybody have expected that. Everybody have already thought of a strategy that could uh, write over the, the existing, you know, uh, condition. Do you want to be in politics one day? Because I saw you described as a, uh, the older, or well, newer, but the um, the unsung suki values of like ten years ago, right? Do you have um, aspirations to be in politics? I think, sorry. 
Yeah, it's okay. I mean, so I, I've seen you described as the next Aung San Suu Kyi, yeah. right? So do you oh. do you have aspirations to be in politics yeah. or do you think that like you need to, you know, be the next person on the international level to be raising awareness about this? Well, when I was that as next Aung San Suu Kyi, it was such a scary story for me because in Myanmar, uh, the personality card is is huge. So she's like a godness. So nobody, nobody, um, to be compared with her. But for me, I feel like our generation is responsible to be better person, to be a better authenticity, right? Um, so I feel like if nobody's doing it, I think I should do something. Mm. Yeah, um, going against the flow. And that's what our generation responsible to is. I think many young people might join me and already they are. They are my inspiration. Because of them, I, I could uh, dare to uh, speak out and talk about the human rights situation. Yeah. So in, in regards to human rights, um, what is the mechanism or like what, what do you do about it? Like what, what can you do to change mindsets in the country um, moving forward, because some of these are, you know, ethnic Id- identities go back a very long way, some of them, um, and some conflicts go back a very long way. So what do you think the tactic is that you can take to start changing this in Myanmar? I mean, it's also a, a global issue, right? It's not just happening in Myanmar. Um, yep. But how do you think you can change it on the national level? So... Yeah, human rights is there for more than 70 years already. And state is such a shame for all of us that human rights defenders are stay at risk. Like, for example, when I stand out for human rights, many people would go against me. And that's a shame for all of us. Like, and human rights is like a threat to many of these states. And, and uh, for us, yeah, I think we need to change the narrative. That's the way. Human rights is not an issue. It's not. It's it's not just like uh, international standard. It's it's a way of life. And I feel in Myanmar, we as the Asian country, we also have a similar struggle like the other Asian countries because human rights. Um, we felt like we felt as a local people is something from Western countries, and it's not like localized. So I think the most important thing right now is to localize the terminology, also to link up with uh, the, the current context in the, each state and region, and then, then people might feel familiar with it. Uh, as the Buddhist country is there, I mean, Buddha philosophy is all about the basic principle, are all about equality and you know non-discrimination. I think we can just link it up, and we haven't done enough yet. I feel we can do better in the future, but just have to be persistent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about, I'm thinking about like other countries getting involved. If you think about Asia and Southeast Asia and the geopolitics of the region, China's involved in a lot. Um, so I'm wondering like if Myanmar plays into uh the international picture at all with the United States or with China, and if either of those countries, if you know, if if they've gotten involved, if they've put pressure on the Burmese government. Yeah, the the rule of the China in the country. Yeah. 
I felt like, honestly, I felt like we are already uh, one of the province of the China. Mm. Um, because at the same time, it's really important for us to learn about the China as well, because uh, we are neighbors. We can choose our neighbors. And they are a powerful country. And also uh, geographically, also important, economically, we have to rely on them for a long time when we were under um, economic sanctions by Western and European countries. So I think it's good to have a diplomatic kind of relations with uh, China. It's good to maintain a good uh, relationship with China as a neighbor country. But at the same time, we as a young, uh, young democratic country, we need to be assured of our own pathway because we are going differently. China is not a democratic or not a federal state. We are going for a democratic federal state. So we have totally a different, different pathway. And I've been, as a young generation, I've been asking uh, to our leaders to make sure that whatever we have a diplomatic relations or compromising in a diplomatic level, make sure our principle, basic principle are not compromised because they are our very defense um, of our own dignity. Um, so that's, that's what we've been asking for. In regards to, I'll try to, I know sometimes my questions are like very large. I'll try to narrow this down. But uh, in regards to, to women's rights within Myanmar, I'd read an article recently that said that parts of the legal system are really old and actually date back to like uh, the time of British imperialism and British colonization. Um, so even things like, um, you know, sexual abuse or, or marital rape and things like that uh, are antiquated and these old ideas about it. Uh, is there a large push for women's rights within Myanmar and uh, a push for changing those laws to be more progressive and modern? Um, there are many different existing laws which were drafted in colonial era from British era. And still we're using them. We haven't updated them. So you can clearly see how these laws would be because these laws were from a colonial mindset. I mean, the ruler and the oppressor, right? The, as the oppressor uh, mindset. I feel they all have to be changed and all updated. Um, and we've been we've been raising awareness about these specific laws, especially defamation, uh, because we have six laws currently drafted uh, that came down from the penal code uh, regarding the defamation. So whatever, whoever uh, saying against somebody, then they can be sued anytime and they will be, it will be like a criminal criminalized. So they can be put in jail first before they, they, um, they can convince of at, at the owners or, you know, uh, not guilty. So they are very dangerous and risky right now. We'll be asking to, yeah, amend them. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, I had watched a, a video, or I guess a couple of video interviews you had done, and one of them had been talking about the the my friend or the hashtag my friend movement that, that you had been doing. Uh, can you talk about what that was? Or what that is, if it's still ongoing? 
So my friend campaign has started in 2015. Uh, so uh, with the the founders, I mean the leaders back then were from different backgrounds. For example, I was a British Burmese woman, and, and there is another one as a Muslim Rohingya woman, and there are many others like from Christian background, the minority, uh, Sikh, Hindus, like many young people gather and we um, we organize that together. So my friend campaign is basically about the tolerance and then the different uh, diverse friendships. So we've been encouraging young people to be proud of their own different friendships and diversity. So they can just post their proud pictures with someone different and they can just share their friendship, lovely, you know, beautiful friendship with everyone. So that's been going on since 2015. And uh, and then I, yeah, we started that and I'm not involved anymore after 2017. And now we've been doing other different campaigns, especially targeting on the tolerance, promoting tolerance and then the different diverse groups. So we started, uh, this year we started called White Rose Campaign. So we be handing out the white roses to the Muslim people in their holy month Ramadan. So as a uh, as a kind of solidarity with them, also as a, as a love, you know, loving kindness towards the different diverse groups. So they also the Muslim people also hand out the white roses to the other different diverse religious groups. That's such a beautiful um, campaign. Many campaigns are going on in Myanmar, but still I feel like we haven't done enough to actually um, calm down the tension between the different uh, religion and ethnicity. Yeah, it sounds like there's a couple things here. Um, and one of the big ones is education, right? Which it sounds like you're doing, getting young people mobilized, um, spreading information. Uh, often it's hardest to get information to um people in poorer communities and in more rural communities. And it's often those people who are deeply tied to their group membership, to their ethnicity. And so by mobilizing and educating, I'm assuming, you know, the hope is to start to change mindsets. I know that in Myanmar, people who are critics of the government or who openly talk about these things, that's a dangerous thing. I know that the, you know, after World War II, like Cold War era, a lot of uh, the movie industry was watched over and regulated. And currently, you know, there's journalists who are censored or journalists who are, who are put in jail. Uh, do you get nervous at all about this, about talking about this stuff, about, you know, being this public figure when, you know, uh, critics are often... Uh, you know, jailed or prevented from dissenting? Um, there are two different types of censorship currently going on in the country, uh, especially on the free and speech, speech right now. The first is uh, based on legal provision. So there are articles and laws that uh, limiting the free and speech in the country. And we've been asking the government and current parliament to actually amend them uh, according to the international rights and international standards, but they haven't done that enough. Uh, for example, protest law. So if you want to protest, you have to inform 48 hours ahead of your uh, details, like who's going to be there, how many people, and 
even though you submit a notification, they are not sure if they were permitted or not, and they apply the law randomly based on personal. If they don't like that group, then they won't give permission. So if they don't like, if they like, if they like uh, like military groups, um, then they will just give that one. So it can be very random. And another perspective, another aspect of that limiting the free not expression is our self, I mean self censorship. Because the current government is fully legitimate by the gov by the people. So we can say that because they won the election last night. And like many of the uh, civilians they supported the current ruling party. And what happened as a um as a how do you say? So while an activist or the human rights defender going against the flow, then they are targeted socially. They will be excluded socially. And um, because the love is so strong towards the lady. So if someone is saying against the lady, it can be um, a, 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 a sin. It can be a sin uh, in the society. So that we, I, yeah, I want to share that too as that. Um, have you ever had anybody try to censor you or to tell you to stop speaking out? Well, well, I've been charged right now because I organized an anti-civil war protest last year. Wow. And uh, so not just me, I was one of the three leaders of the protest and and we trying to be lawful and peaceful. That's our very basic principle. So we uh, we notified the police stations that we are doing that according to the law, and they they ban us. And we've been um, complaining. It's not supposed to be banned because it's not in the law. And this team managed to came in uh, in the event, and they uh, beaten us. Uh, they beaten us, and they arrested us, and they charged seventeen more the yen activist in Yanko. So that happened. And also when I spoke at against the current leadership and the current positions, I mean the position made by the current government, then I've been one and I've been harassed many times sexually, I've been harassed online digitally uh, because they said I should not be speaking out because she's doing something we, we, we wouldn't know. And so just better to shut up and, you know, so that's happening, not just outside, but also in my own circle. Many people wanted me to stop saying, um, so it can be really risky, yeah? Wow. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, I, w- I won't keep you too much longer, but, um, you know, I'm asking about a lot of like heavy stuff here, right? Uh, a lot of it is not pleasant, is not good, um, but... You know, I've, I know some people who have been to Myanmar. I've seen pictures of uh, really beautiful settings and landscapes and temples. Um, you know, growing up there, what are the things that you love about Myanmar that make it special and unique? I would say there are many news coming out from Myanmar, especially the Rohingya crisis. And now later, I think... You all have to, you always get to learn about the uh, ethnic struggle in the country. So there are many different struggles from different angles. And I feel like we are like 50 years behind the current developed nations in terms of um, 
politics in terms of cultural and tradition because we will enter military region for more than six decades. So you can imagine that. So I felt, I felt um, that the beautiful thing about my country is people are uh, and learning. People are, you know, uh, they learn new things right now because of the internet, the exposure, the information that we receive. Um, so they got to learn about what is um, the another world is possible, right? So I think um, Myanmar people, they are honest, they are generous, they are very simple, sincere. So if we can give awareness about what sh how should it be, then I think they will quickly adapt to it and they will be, um, you know, better society in the future. So we don't just have to be... Um, depressed, just have to be persistent in giving awareness and exposing to the society more and more so that we get to be progressive in the future. Um, yeah, amazing. Uh, if Is there a way, I'm, I'm not sure if it's possible, but is there a way that, you know, people who are listening can get involved? Are there organizations to donate to? Are there online campaigns to participate in? If people listen to this and then say, hey, you know, I want to help out too. Yeah, um, I just want to say because in the international news, there might be um, our government will not fully represent our voices or our perspectives. So please listen to uh, different voices, alternative voices, especially from the young generation. Uh, so the young people in Myanmar, the youth movement, the youth forum, the youth organizations are everywhere right now and we are rising. So please. Keep in touch with us and stay tuned. Yeah. Awesome. And in the notes for this episode, people can go, they can click on the links and they'll find your social media. They'll find links to videos and things like that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. It's uh, been a real pleasure. Yeah. My pleasure. That is a wrap on episode number 124 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you so much to Thinzar for coming on. Thank you to Diavio for setting up the conversation and introducing us, you know, digitally, but still a digital introduction. I hope one day to be able to travel to Myanmar and to visit Thinzar. I know some people that have gone there and had a really, really good time. Um, so yeah, it's one of the only countries in Southeast Asia I haven't been to, so I do need to get there one day. Remember to check the show notes for this episode and you will find links to Thinzar and the work that she's doing and a link to my Patreon account. As always, folks, thank you so much for listening and please take care of each other. Until next time.